Good afternoon, all of you. Somehow, uh, a map out of the Bible wound up up here on the table. I don't know if somebody was trying to show me where the promised land is or not. That's the Mediterranean Sea and Judea in the Middle East. And I looked at it and a thought went through my head that this is the promised land. The Middle East. The promised land. Now, which promise? Deuteronomy 28:68 says that if you do not obey me, you do not service me, serve me, I will send you into captivity by ship. That's the land he promised them if they did not obey. <laughs> and they were shipped over there. And this land was left reasonably desolate, except for a few mixed-breed uh, people wandering about during all those years when Israel was taken captive over into northern Africa, the Middle East, and that area around the Mediterranean. And we know this has to have been where they went. The Bible doesn't say exactly where, but... They wound up migrating from there around to Western Europe. And when God opened up the true promised land of obedience, they started coming back over here. Because this is where he had originally promised, and the original promised land was. So I call that promised land, if you disobey, or maybe I should just call it the unpromised land. Because uh, it isn't what God originally promised over there anyway. But that raises the specter of Paul going through around the Mediterranean and preaching because that's where a lot of Israel was. Christ and the apostles were over here and then they traveled uh, long distances to an Israel that was still to a great degree in captivity. Uh, by then around the Mediterranean and later in Europe. Some had already gone to Europe. There are stories that Jeremiah may have gone to Great Britain uh, to speak to them. So it's a matter of piecing this together a little at a time from the Scriptures as to what actually happened. And of course we were allowed after the 430 years of Ezekiel laying on his side a day as a year to come back to this country, and we spent 430 years messing it up again. And here we are, and it's being torn apart before our very eyes uh, already since 2017, when I think that prophecy began to come to pass in a real way. Because certainly since COVID hit, we've been a nation in disarray and scared of each other and walking apart and, and the political divide has gotten to a chasm at this point. So I think that everything is right on schedule. Uh, and that will lead us into the sermon today. I was going somewhere else a little bit, but uh, this came to my mind, and I I guess that's where God wanted us to be today in the Scriptures. But anyway, we have a Bible study this coming Thursday evening, 7.30, uh, begin the second month of God's year, Thursday night Bible study. Now let's go to Psalm 77. And we'll begin here. These psalms through here are some of David's troubles, difficulties he had, seeking God, trying to find answers from God, uh, pretty much where we are today, uh, having had a cohesive church, having had growth, having had congregations all across the country and around the world, to being divided, scattered, frustrated, confused, and we've been over that ground countless times. But he has a pretty good microcosm of where we are 
beginning here in chapter 77. And I want to go through some of this today because we just did the Days of Unleavened Bread and I think began to see uh, this last uh, sermon last week, or last day of Unleavened Bread, I guess it was, uh, that there was a great deliverance there and there was also then a renewal, a time that would come. And then it got delayed 40 years because of attitudes. And they wandered around and they didn't get to fulfill that. And I was going to go to the beginning of when it truly was fulfilled today, but then I, I found a scripture back here that sort of kept me here. And we'll probably get to the other a little later. But see if this does not echo true to us today as we go through this particular section. He said, I cried to God with my voice, even to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. In the day of trouble, I sought the eternal. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. We've been in a period of frustration, of confusion, of wondering how this is all going to come out. Where do God's promises begin and end? Uh, how did the church get into this condition? And yet we have read Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, Old and New Testament, the point of this time, right before the end of the age, when this would happen to the church. And now that it has happened, people were not reading those scriptures. They were only reading the scriptures of deliverance. We're going to go to a place of safety. Everything's going to be okay. The whole church is going to go. And yet God had some serious issues with the church as he always has had serious issues with mankind because of our disobedience to him. And the church was no different. And if you go back into history, Israel was no different. Uh, you read through all these historical records from Genesis through uh, the kings and judges, and it was all up and down. A little bit of obedience, a lot of disobedience. A lot of uh, plagues and problems came on them, and then they would turn to God a little bit, and things would get better, and then they'd turn away, and things would get worse. And we in our nation today are in a situation where nearly everybody is abandoning religion. They don't have God in their worldview. They have other stuff, as we talked about the other day. But here's David's reaction. Now, David will be king of all Israel in the kingdom of God. There's a scripture that makes that very plain. He had his problems. He had his difficulties. Uh, he had great obedience and zeal for God, and yet at other times he let his human nature take over, and he had some serious problems. God dealt with those. But the man kept coming back to God, and David, in some ways, would be a good character for us to look at in terms of what's going on today because the church was up and down and finally kind of began to, to sink and go down. Uh, and trouble had to come. When we're not obedient to God, He has promised us trouble. We seem to forget that until we get in trouble. Then we remember, oh, God said this would happen to us if we weren't what we ought to be. And he made it very clear in the book of Revelation, when he talked about the seven churches, that there would come a time when he would have to spew the church out of his mouth. Now, we had trouble focusing on that because it described the people who were in a Laodicean attitude. Lack of zeal, self-interest, self-righteousness, hypocrisy, all those things that make up someone who is giving God lip service but not really obeying Him. That's what we became. But we didn't see ourselves that way. We saw ourselves as Philadelphians 
whom God didn't criticize there in Revelation 3, but did say you need to overcome. But he didn't criticize. He says, I'll protect you from the trouble to come. So we proudly displayed that we were those people and everything would be fine. And yet God said, you've misjudged yourselves. Just as the Pharisees misjudged themselves. They thought they were the most righteous things on earth, and God was right there with them, whatever they did. And yet Christ came and said, wait just a minute, you're snakes. You're filthy on the inside cups. You're whitened sepulchers with dead men's bones inside. That was not their worldview of themselves, guaranteed. But it was Christ's view of them because he knew what was in their hearts. So he let them have it. And we misjudged ourselves and thought we were something we were not. And there were all kinds of things going on within the church we don't even want to repeat. And some of the stuff I hadn't even heard of until after this viewing started. I didn't know there were a lot of things going on that were going on. I was in a protected little area in some respects. Uh, but the big cities, which is usually where any kind of trouble starts, were uh, headed way, way, way the wrong direction. And so were the little ones. I don't mean to <laughs> to uh, excuse anybody. But it starts a lot of times in the cities and then spreads rural. And the more conservative people finally wind up being part of it. And if you got stewed, you were part of it, and we all got stewed. So I'm not trying to say the country people were better than the city people. They weren't. But it happened. And then people were confused and stayed confused. They were unwilling to look at the situation and say, this happened. Why? They got that far. They said, why? And then their answer was, it was those Laodiceans. Yet God scattered the whole church, not just that little bunch of Laodiceans and the rest of us are A-OK. But that was the view that was taken. And therefore, repentance did not really begin with most because they thought they had nothing to repent of. I've been over this a thousand times in the last 27 years. But here we are today, still faced with the situation to one degree or another, even here. So we have a good dose here of when David did get in trouble, what did he do? You see him Chapter 77, he began to seek God more earnestly. God is the only answer to the troubles of mankind or any man there is. So that's where you turn. But you have to recognize your own problems. And through the Psalms, David will say, my sin is ever before me. Uh, several times with words similar to that, where he realized he had made a mess of things, and was asking God to forgive him. And when we look at the church and see what a mess of things we made, then we need to start looking to him for some answers. Now, I say that not just to you and me. It applies to us. But it applies to that whole church out there, tens of thousands of people who still don't have it figured out that they too were laying to see it. It wasn't just those few, it was all of us. And until you accept that, you can't do anything about it. If you don't know you got a problem, you won't fix it. You can have a bearing going out in the front wheel of your car, and you may not hear it at first, or you may not have any idea of what a wheel bearing going out sounds like. So it gets worse, and it gets worse, and if you don't get it figured out, sooner or later your wheel's going to fall off. 
And we weren't listening well enough, and finally the wheels fell off. That's just what happened. So then you should look around and say, that's my wheel that fell off. I have a problem. Not everybody else has a problem. But that's the view that most took. If somebody else is the problem. So if somebody else is the problem, who's going to fix it? Nobody. Got to admit it before you can fix it. Well, David was willing to admit it. And then he went to the one who could fix it. In the day of my trouble, I sought the eternal. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. He was troubled. He was frustrated. He was in great difficulty. But he was seeking and searching. I remembered God. There's your seeking and searching. And was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. You hold my hand waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Sometimes you just don't quite know what to say. We're troubled. We're in difficulty. We see the society around us falling apart. We see the world about to go into World War III. Actually, we're already in it. It just hasn't gotten uh, here yet. But we're in it, fighting the Russians. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. Now, there's a thing you can do. You can go back and review what God has done in the past, how he has reacted in the past. So, when he was so troubled, and he didn't know what to do, and he didn't know the way out, was lost emotionally, mentally, spiritually, he started remembering things that God had done in the past. Well, that's what Passover in the days of unleavened bread are there for, to remind us of Christ delivering us out of the slavery of Mitzrayim and also the crossing of the Red Sea, one of the biggest events in history. And we'll see here in just a little bit that that was one of the main ones he remembered. Mentions it several times. It's got to have been very important in history. When he was deeply troubled, seeking for answers, he looked to the ancient history of God and man. And that was part of it. So there's got to be some heavy lessons and some things to learn. Because he was trying to learn what's going on and why. <clears throat> I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Now, there's where we should have been and from 1986 on, when Herbert Armstrong died. Really should have been in it before then, because there were already signs of rebellion and ministers uh, upset, and things weren't right in the church. And, and Mr. Armstrong knew that. I last talked to him in 1983, as I've said, and he knew the church was in trouble. He says, I shouldn't take this glycerin pill, I guess, but I'm afraid the church is going to fall apart if I die. He knew there were troubles. <laughs> that was in 83, and he died in 86, and he knew that before he said that in 83. But I can personally attest that he told me that. So I know what he was thinking. And as soon as he died, it went into the hands of the heathen and started coming apart. So he remembered his song in the night. He remembered times when things were better, when he could sing a song in the night. And it was pleasant and it was good. So you remember two things if you go back in history. You look at the things that people did that caused them to be able to sing with joy, and you saw the things that happened that made them contemplate and commit suicide, in some cases, and all kinds of war and trouble. So, you look at both sides to get the pro and the con, two sides of the coin. What brings blessing? What brings cursing? That's 
the process he's starting here in his mind, right here. Will the eternal cast off forever? Will God ever come back to me? Will God ever come back to Israel? Is he, has he just gotten tired of us and said, I've had it? Now he could, David could look back at what Moses had written about uh, Noah's flood. God's flood, Noah's deliverance. Because God had said, I've just about had it. <laughs> I'm going to wipe them all out. I'm, I'm sorry I ever started this project. They've gotten so bad, so violent, so ungodly, so uncaring of each other that they kill on a whim. And it's increasing in our country today. And if you happen to be a woke one, uh, they hardly do anything about it. Hardly even arrest you if you're a part of the move toward communism. So it's the same thing. And he said, I'll wipe them out. And he said, oh, there's that Noah down there. How can I wipe them out when I got one that's righteous? And Enoch was around. So he says, I guess I better not do that. I'll save Noah and his family. And I'll move Enoch out of the way for the time being. That's what he did. Because of one man's obedience, God stopped himself from destroying every man, woman, and child and just forgetting this as a bad project. One man's obedience can be very important. Yours, mine, and theirs. It doesn't take very many doing what God says for him to make changes for the better, not the worse. And that's what happened with Noah. But David asked the question because he was feeling very down. Will the Lord cast off forever and will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Does his promise fail forevermore? Can we depend on God? Man, I'm in trouble and I don't see any answers. <laughs> We've been this way now for about 37 years, directionless. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Is his anger overriding his merciful nature? These are things that David was considering very, very deeply here. These aren't just whim thoughts. And I said, This is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'm going to quit worrying about my infirmity, and I'm going to think of the times when God has done His best and delivered His people. I will remember the works of the Eternal. Surely I will remember the wonders of old. What are some of those wonders? He will rehearse them in a little while. Because he began to see, there's my answer. God only is my answer. Where do American people look? Is Trump only their answer? Is he even going to live? Who knows? Is Biden our answer? Oh, my God. And I don't mean that facetiously. <laughs> Is Putin the answer? Who's the answer? Is the church the answer? Where are you going to find a church that's the answer for people in this world? They basically abandon church. There are some that are still going, uh, but over the country and around the world, church and God are being abandoned. I'll remember the works of the eternal. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate also of all your work and talk of your doings. 
People were repeating things that God had done. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God that does wonders. You've declared your strength among the people. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God, the waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound, thunder. Your arrows also went abroad. The voice of your thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. The way is in the sea, and your path in the great waters, and your footsteps are not known. It sounds like Noah's flood. It sounds like the Red Sea, where he took care of things through water. Fountains of the deep were opened up, and people were scared and drowned. And in the great Red Sea, uh, I think he's referring there to the wind, that the, the, the water ran from before God, from before the wind that he sent. The waters were scared and ran off and hid, so that the people could come across the Red Sea. You believe that? I ask that once in a while. You really believe that? That the waters would part like that? I do. I really do believe that happened. Look at the Grand Canyon. Look at the earth. It's here. Who made the seas? If he could make them, couldn't he part them? Not a big deal if you understand the majesty and the sovereignty of Almighty God. But it's hard to get people to believe God. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You got them out of slavery. You led them like a flock. You took them where they needed to go. He's beginning to see a little light here. <laughs> this, this, this is good stuff to be thinking about when you're troubled. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Now, that's what he said through Moses and Aaron, right? Went to Sinai on Pentecost and gave them ten commandments. And said, Obey me. Follow me. Everything will go good. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. You know, David did believe that the Red Sea had parted. He believed Moses and Aaron had led the people through the wilderness. He understood that, and it gave him encouragement. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Eternal and His strength and his wonderful works that he has done. Let's not hide those things. Let's sit here in Sabbath service and talk about them, if you will, because we are a people, as a church and as a nation, that are in very, very deep trouble. And the only one that can deliver us is God. Now, there are some churches who think that they are the be-all and they're going to be delivered by that church. I don't know how many Catholics still believe that, but the Pope is supposedly in the place of Christ, and there are still enough who believe in the Catholic Church and the Pope that they feel the Pope is going to be the Antichrist, the false Christ. I don't know that that's the truth, but they do have that view of themselves, and that's the view they put out. Mormons kind of the same way. Uh, and everybody thinks that they're important or they wouldn't be there, right? In some way or another. So how do you figure out who's important and who isn't? It says, those who follow the truth. Thy word is truth, John seventeen seventeen. You have to get into this book and find out what it says, and then begin to do what it says, 
And then you're in the right place. You can read it and ignore it. Or have your six verses that your church knows that they like and think you're okay. No, it's the whole Word of God. Man shall live by every Word of God. Matthew 4, 4, Luke 4, 4, and Deuteronomy 7 or something. This is the place. I didn't say, I don't mean here. I mean this book is the place. And you better find out what it says because God's the one that had it written. And when you do what it says, you're on your way to finding God. So Moses and Aaron told them these things. And we're to show the generations to come the praises of God and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. So here we are, a world and a church in trouble, and we need to be thinking about the wonderful things that God has done as encouragement that we might have belief and faith that He's going to do them again for those who will obey Him. For he established a testimony in Jacob <coughs> and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. The commandments are not done away. They're to be made known to the generations to come, as we just read. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. This is to go on and on and on, the laws of God. Never forgotten. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. You're excused, of course, if you're a Protestant, because if you say you like Jesus, they'll sprinkle some water on you or dump some on you or lower you in some somewhere. And then, from then on, you're saved. And it doesn't make any difference what you do, because you've been saved. I've heard people tell me that exactly. Now you can murder and steal and rob, because you've been saved. And God's grace will cover you. There's nothing in the Scriptures that say the commandments are ever done away. Not in the old or the new. And in fact, Christ said, if you'll learn to life, keep the commandments. That's what he taught. But the Methodists and the Baptists and all these junk religions don't know that. And might not be, as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Attitude problem. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Is that what God told Joshua? He says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Be of good courage. But here there was a case where Ephraim, and he's using an example, got scared and turned and ran. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. That was the problem. Forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. They weren't thinking about the Red Sea. They were thinking about who was in front of them was had in their mind to kill them. So they turned and ran instead. And what did God tell them at the Red Sea? Move forward. What's this noise I hear? Shut up. Move forward. <laughs> Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. So here he brings it up again. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. And he made the waters to stand as in heap. Contrast that with the Ephraimites throwing down their bows and arrows and running like rabbits. God was there. Remember him. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. I showed you in Isaiah 4 that he's going to do the same thing here at the end. God works in patterns. He's going to protect his people right here in this area. 
and put a wall of fire around them and a bubble to protect them from the rain and the heat. We'll do the same thing. Do you believe that? Well, here it is that he did it before. He ought to be quite capable of doing it again. He hasn't grown old. He hasn't gotten feeble. He hasn't gotten where he can't do things anymore because that's not the way he is. So when he tells us he's going to do it for us if we obey, then we should obey and expect it to happen. Now, David was expecting something to happen in his life. Is the reason he's going over this stuff. And he's remembering. Oh, that's what God said. That's what God did. I can trust him. He is my God. He's the one I pray to. He cleaved the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. You've been in desert places. You're in one. There's a lot of rocks around here. You notice that ever? A lot of rocks in a lot of places. And God had the capacity to split rocks and bring out water. And did it. Now, I know a few places around here where there's water coming out from sandstone cliffs. Makes nice springs you can go to. But there they were standing without a spring in sight, and God just rent the rocks. And there was water, a lot of water. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Are we reading Isaiah or Psalm? We can go to Isaiah and read the same stuff about the end time, end time prophecy. We have, we will. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking food for their lust. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Kind of mocking a little bit, you know. You brought us out here to die. Can you set up a table out here somewhere and feed us? It's dinner time. That's just jabbing at God. God doesn't like that. You don't like to be jabbed at, do you? Someone gives you a jab, do you like it? No. God doesn't either. Especially after all he's done for them. Crying out loud, where's thankfulness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed, can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? You know, he set up a water system, rain comes. I've seen water gush out of the rocks around here. I mean, naturally. You get a rain up there in the mountain somewhere and 30 miles away, you can be camped in the dry wash and get flooded out. Just that easy. It's not a divine miracle that God created up there 40 miles away just so you could get washed away, stupid. You should have been up on the hill. But those things happen just in the course of the way he set things up. Well, if he could set it up to do that, why couldn't he cause a miracle somewhere to do it again where it was needed instead of where it wasn't? I don't think that stretches it too much, does it? Twenty-one, therefore the Eternal heard this and was angry. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. One of the things Christ is most concerned about, and said it when he was on the earth, was, will I find faith when I return? Will I find faith and will find people who believe me? People who trust me? People who know that I can save them out of the holocaust 
and the world wars, and all the things of the book of Revelation as they come down. And he says, no flesh would be saved alive unless he intervened and cut things a little short. Now, in the face of that, how many people are going to believe God and believe in God and look back at what he's done in the past and say he can do it again and he said he would, I'm in. Let's go. He sent spies into the promised land to see, can we go in? Can this thing happen? And they came out and said, oh, those guys are too big. We can't fight them. Forget it. Two out of the bunch said, go for it. God's bigger than they are. We can do this. And God saved Caleb and Joshua and the rest died, except for their kids who went in. But that rebellious generation didn't make it. So believing in God and trusting Him is about as important a thing as you can get. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest is love, but faith ain't far behind. Because if we love God enough, we'll trust Him and believe Him, and that's part of loving Him, is believing Him. You ever try to love somebody that you weren't sure you could believe? Husbands and wives face this all the time. Well, I married you, and now, three, five, ten, twenty years later, I'm not so sure I can trust you. This has happened, this has happened, that's happened. And living together with someone and trying to be very close and have a wonderful relationship is difficult when you don't really trust and believe that that person is what they say they are or said they would be. And ultimately, I think everybody faces that to one degree or another. You know, when you're young, when you get married, and you have all these ideas about what marriage is going to be, you have dreams, you have hopes, you have fantasies, And you also think about what maybe you're going to be. I'm going to be this and this and this to you and that. And a lot of people make vows at their wedding where they say to each other, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And it's kind of like New Year's resolutions. (laughs) It'll last a while. But you can't, as a human, always live up to exactly what you want to. And your mate is the same way. they got the same problem you do. Now, you don't want to blame yourself, but it's easier to blame them when you both got the same problem. We have these fantasies, and now we're having to live with reality day in and day out, and that's a whole different ballgame. And that's why... People have these great aspirations when they find God, let's say. And they want to be obedient to Him and serve Him and love Him and all these things. But their character won't hold up to that. And as a result, they give Him lip service and they do what they want to do and then they're hypocrites. Because their religion doesn't really mean anything. And being a hypocrite is a real easy thing to do. I don't know whether you tried it or not, but it's easy. You can say one thing and do another pretty easy. And it's really hard to fight against what you might want to do when God says no. Oh. And people don't like for God to say no. That's why most religions say that God doesn't say no about anything. The commandments are done away with. You don't have to keep them. You're saved by grace. And you're going to get in. Once you get sprinkled, you're going to get in regardless. And they go ahead and do what they want to do and ignore the commandments. That was Israel's problem. It's Israel's problem today. It's your problem and mine today. 
We are not, by nature, godly. We are, by nature, like Satan. We want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, and immediate satisfaction is what our whole country and society and culture is about today. I want what I want, and I want it now. And if you don't give it to me, I'll leave you, or I'll shoot you, or I'll do something bad. Because I want what I want, and I'll walk all over you to get it. Dog eat dog. That's our society. It's been man's society from Adam and Eve right on down. God said for me to sacrifice a lamb. But I grow carrots, and I like carrots, and I'm going to give God carrots. And then the other brother did the lamb, and the brother that gave carrots and broccoli was all upset. Turned around and killed him. We want what we want. What's your bowl of lentil soup? Esau had been out hunting, came in tired, thirsty. Oh, I'm famished. I'm about to fall over. Get me something, Jacob, before I die. Well, here's you some soup I made. Well, give me some. Now, hurry. Runny little brother. Oh, okay. I'll bring you some. Uh, oh, by the way, give me your birthright first. Yeah, what good is that thing? I just want some soup. Birthright won't do me good dead. Bring it. So, he sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. And we looked down at Esau and said, you shouldn't have all done that. And he shouldn't have. And he realized it. And he never, ever could get over having done it and died still as bitter as you can get because he'd done it. I think we all need to ask ourselves, what's my bowl of lentil soup? What is it that I would put ahead of the kingdom of God because I want this now? We're tempted every day like that. We have temptations that come and go, whatever they might be, and it's equal to a bowl of little soup. Because idolatry is the first commandment, and any time we put ourselves ahead of God to placate our flesh in whatever way that we want to do so, we're throwing away our birthright. God said, you can be in my kingdom and live forever and ever and ever if you'll obey my laws. And yet, as humans, we find things we want to do that are contrary to his law. It can be even as simple as things we eat. He tells us we should take care of our flesh, that we ought to... uh, What scripture am I trying to think of here? Uh, respect who we are, what we are, take good care of ourselves. I think that's pretty clear throughout the Scriptures. But there's stuff out there today that are meant to destroy your health. And they're making more and more and more of them all the time. And then we find out we have a nation full of cancer and diabetes and heart trouble and a plethora of other things that weren't basically heard of 100, 200 years ago. Why? Because of the processed junk that we eat. Now, God made it clear that there are things that are good to eat and things that they're not, using animals and birds and fish for a good example. These aren't good for you. These are, and you can eat them. And then he talks about us eating the herbs, the vegetables, and so on. But even some of them will kill you. There are vegetables you can eat they will kill you right now. And there's others that make you do well. That isn't maybe in some respects a direct sin if we 
<coughs> excuse me, imbibe of some of those things. <coughs> but is it truly good? Does God approve it? If you eat things that aren't good for you? He said he's our healer. He says that illness is a result of sin. Somebody somewhere. Most generally. There was the man crippled that was done on purpose as an example before God as who he was. But for the most part, uh, sickness and illness is a result of sin. And the sin may be no worse than eating and drinking things that aren't good for us. But <coughs> so we have to go to God and ask for forgiveness and healing. And yet we're still at the sugar bar and the artificial sweetener bar and the whatever bar uh, eating and drinking things that harm our bodies because we like them. And we can't see and we're not looking at the end result. But what's this doing to my health? Paul said, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health. Of course, they didn't have the junk back then that we're eating today. You know, I, I go through the grocery store and you hardly see anything that's worth eating. It's supposedly a food store. It's a junk store. And you have to look hard to find anything in there that ought to be put in your body. I look at people's baskets coming out of there. And, Man, I don't see anything they ought to eat. Sometimes I look at mine and I say, well, no, I sh no. Because I've been trained in that nearly all my life. My parents knew that we ought to do the honey and whole wheat thing when I was this doll. And home-produced milk and eggs and things like that. And we did that. And I've been pretty healthy most of my life, and so have my siblings. One sister died from cancer, but she wore her phone right here, and that's where she had problems. But God tells us we should prosper and be in health, and therefore, should we not obey his clean and unclean laws, not just in meat, but in some of these things that they feed us from the grocery stores that will kill you a whole lot faster than pig will. You know, there are people who have eaten pigs and scum of the ocean floor for 6,000 years now, and they're still doing pretty good. But we couldn't stand two generations of pop and sugar and white flour and all these things that are in processed foods. Now we're dying by the millions. They say one-third of Americans will die of cancer, one-third of heart disease, and one-third of diabetes. That's pretty much everybody. Now, as a statistic, that's not allowing for some people having two or three of those conditions, because a lot of people do. So not everybody dies from one of those three things. But even when I was a child, diabetes was almost unheard of. Heart disease was rare. And cancer was almost unheard of. And that's been a little less than a hundred years ago. And behind, before that, there was hardly any of this. But now we have it. Now, a lot of people died from uh, some communicative diseases like tuberculosis or the Black Plague or whatever. But that wasn't a condition of their overall health. That was a bug that went through and killed them, by contrast. Because they were living on the farm and they were eating things the way God produced them and not altering them to be something totally different like we are today. So I think it becomes obvious that what is being done today is ungodly. And therefore, we ought to be very, very careful what we put in our bodies. Now, that requires some adjustment. 
is a can of Pepsi, a bowl of lentil soup. Could be. If we're unwilling to get rid of the things that are killing us, death by suicide, slowly, then God could say, I told them to prosper and be in health, and they're doing everything just the opposite. Now, I don't try to legislate. I don't go into your homes and start looking through the... It's been done in the church before. Looking through your cabinets to see what you're eating or not eating. It's not my job to police you. It's your job to police you. But you need to. We all need to. Because why? how can we go to God and say, please heal me of cancer when we've been doing everything in our power to cause it? You know? A bowl of lentil soup can be a woman on the street. A bowl of lentil soup could be some stuff we get at Bees Market. Anything we get that gets in the way of living as God would have us live and cause us to be healthy and productive is against Him. It's against His law. We're to love ourselves, and if we love ourselves, we're supposed to take care of ourselves. If you love someone, don't you try to take care of them? Well, we're supposed to love ourselves and take care of ourselves. And then we're supposed to love our neighbors ourselves and help take care of them too. I appreciate some who are producing eggs and milk and meat because they're helping provide things that are good for the rest of us. <coughs> and those are things that are better for our bodies. I didn't intend to get off on this, <clears throat> but I've been thinking about that bowl of lentil soup, uh, some. And so I wrote it down. I put it in front of my computer. What is my bowl of lentil soup? What would I put ahead of serving God? What law would I break and lose my birthright in the kingdom of God forever? It's scary when you put it that way. It scared me, so I'm telling you, so you can be scared too. You know what I mean. Because it's been easy for me all my life to kind of think, Esau, you were an idiot. And I look around and say, what could lead me to do something contrary to God? There's a thousand things, brethren. Everybody has different buttons that can be pushed. And you think you've overcome something. Well, I haven't, you know, I've, I got that under control. I'm going to go work on this now. And while you work on this, you look around and that one bobbed up again. I, I, overcoming sin is kind of like bobbing apples. I've used that analogy. You get one down, you push it down, you're trying to get your teeth into it, you might get it. In the meantime, that other one that you were chewing on bobbed right back to the top. So, problems you've had, or have, a lot of them are problems you've had since you were a child. That everybody has different character, different strengths, different weaknesses. Everybody has weaknesses, everybody has strengths. But the things that we're weakest in, or were weakest in, tend to come back. And we have to reestablish control over them. That's just the way that it goes. Bobbing apple, apples can be frustrating. I've done it a few times, and man, those things, they just want to float. They're around your lip and mouth, this way, that way, and you can't get your teeth in them. And it's kind of like overcoming sin. It's just hard to get hold of it and put it down for good. So, your bowl of lentil soup could be anything 
that tends to control you or that you can't overcome or that you're tempted in. And anything can cause missing out on the kingdom of God if it's not repented of and fixed and changed. So David's going through this. Not to get too far away from what he's saying here. He's sinned. Bathsheba enjoyed killing people too much. It was okay to go to war, but David got to the point that was just too much fun. And he was doing it for the sake of killing, not for the sake of saving Israel. That's where it became a problem. So God said, because you're so bloody, you're not building the temple, Solomon's doing it. So he put some uh, things on David, lost the son that came from the relationship with uh, Bathsheba, and yet it was Bathsheba's son Solomon who built the temple. In other words, God caused the one son to die that Uriah died over. And then he let others come, and one of them was chosen to do a great work. God forgives, and he puts it behind and moves forward, which is what we have to do. Now, that was where Esau had the problem. He couldn't put it behind, it, put it behind him and move on. That bitterness, that hatred remained throughout his life, and his people his, that have come since him are the same. Edomites still hate Israel. And I don't even know whether they know who they are, some of them or not, but the people like Soros, the people like uh, some of these leaders of this new uh, Klaus Schwab and others are Edomites through Ashkenazi Jews, not the other kind, they're not real Jews. And they still hate us, and the book of Obadiah says that they're going to help bring us down financially, and they're going to rejoice over our destruction, just as Esau would have rejoiced over Jacob's destruction, and then God is going to punish them for it. So what Esau did on that day, when he says, give me some soup or I die, he and his Children down through the ages are still going to die because of that bowl of soup. Let's not let a bowl of soup take the kingdom of God away from us. We have to resist sin and flee from sin and not be hypocrites and give God lip service and not obey Him. That's been the downfall of religion all along. And we don't want to fall into that trap. Am I even going to get through one chapter? I guess so. Back to verse 8 or 9. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His tender mercies? And I said, This is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. His right hand is how he moved to do great miracles. That's what I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember a God of power, a God who cared, one who had not forsaken, but was willing when people repented to forgive them and deliver them. That's the God I'm going to remember, he says. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate also of all your work and talk of your doings. I'm going to have you on my lips and my head, my heart. I will meditate also of all your work and talk of your doings. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God that does wonders. You've declared your strength among the people. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. I guess I read this. The clouds poured out waters. The skies sent out a sound. Your arrows also went abroad. Uh, no wonder I, I got down halfway through chapter 78. 
been off in the woods so long I forgot where I was. But that's okay. I, I think sometimes we need to stop and think about these things and think about ourselves and where we are, see the wonders God has done, and then see where man screwed up like Esau or David and what they had to do to get around it and past it. And in this case, David did and Esau didn't. So we have some examples of what we need to do to make it turn out right in the long run. That's the key to the whole thing. So I'm not going to go back into where I can pick that up and go on. We're out of time anyway. But uh, I, I think the very contrast that we see here is important for us. So we're in a time where we have wondered, where's God? How, how is this going to happen? Now, you and I have read through the Scriptures, and we know what's going to happen. But it's a long time coming, and you can get discouraged in the meantime if you're not careful. But God, when He says, I'll deliver, He's going to do it. And He'll do it when He's ready, not when we're ready. Or, when we're ready spiritually and right, then He may be ready. But until we get there, He may not be ready. Because He's looking for some Noah's, is what He's looking for. So let's build a boat of righteousness we can float out of.